be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you are. Uh, first service is our prophecy update. We've been doing this weekly for many, many years now. And then second service, which will be live streamed, by the way, at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time, is our verse-by-verse study through the Bible. We're currently, as you know, in 1 John, just started 1 John. And today we're going to look at how it is that being genuinely full of joy is absolutely attainable in our lives as Christians. It can be realized, and we're going to see that in our study today, 1 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Hope you'll join with us. Uh, also, for those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we'd encourage you to go directly to the website, jdfarag.org. There you will find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it so we can get through it. So let's do it. That was pretty good, actually, wasn't it? All right, here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to incorporate a play on words using the well-known idiom of making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, This idiom refers to one overreacting or exaggerating the severity of a seemingly minor issue, making it something much bigger than it really is, making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, it's making something out of nothing, as it were, but I'm going to reverse it in the sense that Instead, it's taking something and making it nothing. Are we okay so far? All right. Let me be more specific. I'm reversing this idiom because the major mountain of Bible prophecy is being downplayed and made to be nothing but a molehill. And it's being made so by many people today, and one need look no further than to the conspicuous absence and deafening silence concerning Bible prophecy in the church today. And if this weren't bad enough, even those who do talk about or teach Bible prophecy, they're making a molehill out of the prophetic mountain of the last three years. Would you agree? Like many of you, I too am baffled by this. I'm bewildered by this as I witness this. I truly cannot understand why it is that only a few actually see this especially professing Christians, and even worse, pastors. Pastors who should know better, but act as though everything that's happening is really nothing. 
which is why they say nothing. And when this happens, what ensues is what always ensues, which is a deafening of the ears to hear and blinding of the eyes to see. So as I've inquired of the Lord and sought to understand why this is so, the only thing that comes anywhere close to understanding this is that some people are just stuck in a time warp. Stay with me. Uh, Perhaps you've heard that humorous quip uh, with variations from the original, which is, hey, the 70s called and they want their hair back. Oh, good. I, I, I don't expect I'll ever get a call like this. Uh, I don't have an afro to give back to the 70s. So now, why am I referring to this humorous quip? Because it's like this. Hey, the year 2019 called and want their normal business as usual lifestyles back. Can you make that connection? To the question of why some people are stuck in this time warp, I would lovingly suggest that it's because they're fully given over to what's known as a normalcy bias. What's a normalcy bias? Well, it's a bias that leads people to minimize at best and dismiss at worst the seriousness and urgency of a situation. Make a molehill out of a mountain, if you prefer. It's for this reason that I chose the title of making a molehill out of a mountain. It's an apt description of the world today. And what makes this so heartbreaking is that it's also an apt description of the church today. In my time together with the Lord, as of late, I've been revisiting and meditating on the book of Revelation. And in so doing, I found myself, and this is not hyperbole, I mean this in every sense of the word, stunned. I mean, it is stunning. I'm stunned at the unspeakable horror that is coming upon a Christ-rejecting world in the seven-year tribulation. So stunning is this horror, it gives me pause when I consider how that mankind still won't repent after the death of over half of the population on earth. Can I draw your attention to Revelation 9? I'll begin reading in verse 18 and just real quick give you the backstory so that you have a better understanding. I think it'll be germane to our understanding. I mean, the plagues are being poured out. 
and large segments of the population are being killed because of said plagues. So we pick it up in verse 18, and we're told by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Now that's in addition to the population that was killed prior to these plagues in chapter 9. So a third of mankind, a third of whatever was left at that time or is left at that time in the tribulation will be killed. How? By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. Whose mouths? Oh, the description is just unimaginable, unfathomable, likened unto locusts that have tails that sting and kill, that are released. The implication being that heretofore they've been held captive until this time. And then they're released and they're given this power and they kill mankind in a horrific way. For verse 19, their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm. But verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. I, I cannot wrap my mind around that. It's akin to at the end of the millennial reign on earth, earth being in the condition it was before sin entered the world, the perfection and beauty of the Garden of Eden. 1,000 years of rule and reign of righteousness. And at the end of the millennium, those that were born in the millennium, those who entered the millennium, they'll have a choice to make at the end of the millennium. And it is just flabbergasting that some, after 1,000 years of that environment, that, that righteous rule and reign, they don't make the right decision for Jesus Christ. They reject Jesus Christ. I mean, it's comparable, I suppose. But after all of this, and they did not repent. They did not repent of what? Listen to this list. They did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And, verse 21, they did not repent of their murders, or, listen, sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Wow. What makes this even more difficult to comprehend 
is that the book of Revelation is the only book in the entire Bible that promises a blessing. No other book in the Bible promises a blessing to those who read it, hear it, take it to heart. This is Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. That's important. What is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. Actually, Thursday, we're in Ezekiel, Lord willing, chapters, I should probably know what chapters were, five and six. Whew, that was close. Um, I'm actually titling our verse-by-verse study through Ezekiel, the end is not just near, the end is here. Because the Lord declares in Ezekiel, particularly chapter 7, several times, the end has come. The end has come. Now, (laughs) hang in there with me, because we have quite the conundrum here. What's the conundrum? Well, the conundrum is in reconciling chapter 1, which is pre-tribulation, by the way, with chapter 9, which is during the tribulation. In other words, how is it possible that the one who reads, hears, and takes to heart the words of this prophecy will be so blessed. I mean, I just read chapter 9 about this unspeakable horror that is coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. And at first, I'm not so blessed, actually. That is until I take it to heart. We talked about this actually last Thursday in Ezekiel chapters 4 and 5. I mean the judgment that comes upon Judah, the captivity in Babylon, the destruction of Jerusalem, unspeakable. And at the end of that chapter, you just, when you take it to heart, you realize, wait a minute, thank you, Jesus. How blessed am I? Now, lest one think I'm being morbid, no, think of it like this. I'm not going to be here for this. That's the blessing. It's actually a twofold blessing, and we'll get to the second part of this. But I am blessed. Why? Because I'm saved. And I'm not going to be here during this seven-year tribulation. And so the blessing comes vis-a-vis taking to heart and taking heed to the seriousness of this mountain, instead of minimizing it, or even dismissing it. Now, let me explain how I get there. The reference in chapter 9 concerning how they would not repent has the inference that they could still repent, right? They would not repent. In other words, there was still time. They still could have repented, but they wouldn't and didn't. This is the grace of God 
and the blessing from God in and of the book of Revelation in the sense that taken to heart, there would be repentance, which is a change of heart. It's been rightly said that if we change our minds, God then will change our hearts. That's what repentance is. However, they don't repent in the seven-year tribulation, which may in some way explain why they don't repent prior to the seven-year tribulation. And by the way, parenthetically, let me say that the reader of the book of Revelation in the tribulation after the rapture, they're reading chapter 9. They're not just reading chapter 9, they're living chapter 9. How much of a blessing will this book be to them if they do repent, if they do take heed, and they do take to heart the words written in this prophecy? I mean, if you think about it, God forbid any of us were to go through something like that. Man, I, I'm probably a wimp, I'll confess it, but man, the first sight I get of one of these things, whatever they are, you know, the snake, uh, the tail of a serpent, and it's got heads on it, what in the old? And then it's a, like a locust, you know how locusts swarm and they devour everything in their path? I mean, as soon as I heard the swarm sound, I'm on my face. Oh, God! <laughs> Is that too much? You might say, I've had a, a change of heart here. Uh, I've had a change of mind. You might say, I repent. Oh, God. Oh, God. And that is the blessing. That's the twofold blessing. Now, I need to sort of turn a corner here and start by asking this rhetorical question. If you're not going to live for Christ before the tribulation, what makes you so sure you're going to die for Christ in the tribulation? Do you see why I'm quoting this rhetorical question? Actually, this also explains why there's no repentance now, nor is there repentance then, when this is happening. Namely, they won't take to heart the mountain, the mountain of evidence, and they make it into a molehill. And this molehill is made under the banner of not believing it's a mountain, or worse yet, not wanting to believe it's a mountain. That's not a play on words. I think about again Ezekiel and Jeremiah before him, and even Isaiah as well. How many times these prophets would prophesy this is what's going to happen. And the people didn't believe it. The people didn't want to believe it. This is what is going to happen. Nah, it's not going to happen. And here's Isaiah, here's Jeremiah, here's Ezekiel, and I'll add Daniel too. 
both of whom, Ezekiel and Daniel, are in Babylon. Actually, Ezekiel's in Tel Aviv, not Aviv in, Jeru- in Israel, but Abib, they're in modern-day Iraq, and Daniel in Babylon. And they're prophets sent by God to the captives because there were all these false prophets telling the captives in Babylon, hey, don't listen to Jeremiah and Ezekiel or Daniel. Their cheese gone slid off their cracker. Kind of like that. I should have added a little bit more Southern draw to that. Yeah, but they told us that God, the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord, we're going to be here for 70 years. No, that's not going to happen. They're making a mountain out of a molehill. It's not going to, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that long. In fact, if I were you, I wouldn't get too settled here. You know what happened, don't you? At the end of the 70 years, spoiler alert, (laughs) uh, when the captivity was over, um, few Jews returned to Jerusalem. They were so comfortable there in Babylon. Well, what's the point? The point is you had these false prophets that were telling the people that, nah, this isn't a mountain. He's making a molehill out of a, he's making a mountain out of a molehill. It's just a little itsy bitsy molehill. We're just going to be here for a little itsy bitsy molehill of time. Oh, this whole thing that's happening over the last three years, it's just, it'll, it'll just be one of those pages on the calendars of history that will eventually end up on the dust heap of history. So they, and they say it with such conviction. I'm like, what? What? Wait, you don't, it's a mountain. This is a mountain. And you're like, no, it's not. It's a little, little molehill. You know what this is? It's a textbook case of denial. And denial is at the core of the aforementioned normalcy bias. And sadly, this is exactly what we're witnessing today. Now, for those asking what an update like this is intended to accomplish, let me first say, don't let molehill people unduly influence you. Uh, This is a thing. (laughs) I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that doubt can set in about whether or not we're the ones that are actually making a mountain out of a molehill. Maybe it is just a molehill, and I'm making it bigger than it really is, and over-exaggerating it, and overreacting to it. And truth be made known, this is the most common accusation leveled against those of us who take this so seriously, for the mountain that it is. So much so that people think we're the crazy ones. As such, if an update like this accomplishes nothing more 
than encouraging those who think they're crazy, that they're not, then praise be unto God. Glory be to the Lord. Then this update has accomplished its intended end. No, you're not crazy. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to take that any further, because <laughs> you know, we, we are all fallen. We're all a little bit crazy. Just look at your pastor and you'll... <laughs> Anyway, like I said, I, I'm not going to take that any further. And don't you take it further either. You laughed very fast on that one. That's all right. Now, please know that what I just said is said replete throughout Scripture, chiefly in the Revelation passages we just read. God is telling us what's going to happen before it happens. So when it begins to happen, we'll believe that He is the great I Am. And not only will we believe in the Lord, but we'll believe we're not crazy because it's in the Word of the Lord. So the next time the, uh, is, is this mean, I hope not, the molehill Christian is that bad? Okay, good. The molehill Christian, the next time that molehill Christian, you know who I'm talking about, comes up to you and says something to you to the effect of, man, you're, you're crazy. You, you've lost it. Just say, well, do you realize you're actually calling the Lord crazy? Because crazy thing. Uh, that crazy is right here in the Word. So the next time a molehill Christian makes you think that you're the one that's crazy, go back to the Word of God and you'll realize, wait a minute, no, I'm not crazy. I'm not losing my mind. It's right here. God said it. It's in His Word. He told us before that exactly what we see happening will happen. And now it's beginning to happen exactly as He said it would happen. I'm the one that's crazy. prophecy foretelling. With specificity, by the way, that people will not repent of their sorcery. Doubtless many of you know by now that this word sorcery in the original language of the Greek New Testament is pharmakeia, pharmakia, where we get our English word for pharmacy or pharmaceutical. When you get to Revelation chapter 18, verse 23, we're told that all the nations on earth, all the nations on earth were deceived by what? Sorcery, pharmaceuticals. That's pretty specific. If you'll kindly allow me to, I'll expound on the mountain of evidence, if you will proving that the world today is being deceived by said sorcery. And in order to do that, we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook and redirect you, if you're not there already, to the website. So what follows are exhibits of sorts that I would like to enter into evidence so as to prove the case 
concerning what I'm going to call the COVID pharmaceutical sorcery. The COVID pharmaceutical sorcery. Exhibit A. It's a downloadable PDF file titled COVID-19 Vaccine Provider Incentive Program. Listen to the first paragraph. Getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is one of the best and safest ways people can protect themselves and their families against the virus. As a participating practice in the COVID-19 Provider Vaccine Incentive Program, we recognize your hard work by offering incentives for helping patients make the choice to become vaccinated. Under the heading of how you can qualify for a bonus, is a graduating scale of dollar amounts based on vaccination percentages with the incentive of 75% vaccinated earning as much as $250 for each individual that's vaccinated. Also, in the appendix pictured here, they provide examples of additional incentives illustrating the potential to receive significant bonuses totaling upwards of $6,000. Now this begs the question of why. Hear me out, please. If this so-called virus is so deadly, and this so-called vaccine is so safe and effective, wouldn't it stand to reason that you would not have to offer incentives in order for people to be injected? Wouldn't people already have incentive and even be willing to pay for something like this instead of being paid for something like this? Am I crazy? Did that make sense? Does this make sense? What You have to implement incentive programs? Listen, if, yeah, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to spare you and myself, actually, of that rant. Exhibit B, it's the updated 2023 International Classification of Disease Codes, also known as ICD-10 codes, which is a system used by physicians and other healthcare providers to classify and code all diagnoses, symptoms, and procedures recorded in conjunction with hospital care in the United States. Of particular note are the codes assigned to the immunization not carried out and under immunization status. While they delineate between immunization not carried out and under immunization, the common denominator between them is that like with the incentives to vaccinate, so too are there consequences for those who don't vaccinate or under vaccinate. And by consequences, I mean that a patient who is coded, diagnosed in this way, will be given 
a diagnosis and subsequent procedure, which may include, and I'm quoting, by the way, immunization safety counseling. What's that? Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> but you get the idea, don't you? Listen carefully to the following codes. Z28-1, immunization not carried out because of patient decision for reasons of belief or group pressure. Oh. Z28-2, immunization not carried out because of patient decision for other and unspecified reason. Z2820, immunization not carried out because of patient decision for unspecified reason. This is not redundant. They're covering all angles. Z2821, immunization not carried out because of patient refusal. Z2829, immunization not carried out because of patient decision for other reasons. Translate it. If you come up with any reason to not get this thing, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter what others are telling you. If you refuse this, we're going to diagnose you. They're going to get a code. And we're going to take care of you. <laughs> Emphasis added. Well, it gets worse. You okay so far? Exhibit C. Exhibit C is the recently proposed amendments to the 2005 World Health Organization International Health Regulations, also known as IHR. What's the 2005 IHR? Uh, they are a legally binding agreement of 196 countries to build the capability to detect and report potential public health emergencies worldwide. 13 years ago. Wait. No. How many years ago is this? 17? Do I hear 18? Going once? Going <laughs> Just give me a moment here. This is, this is not good. This is not good. Okay, 2005, 2015 is 10, 2015 to 2023 is 8, 18. Who said 18? Correct answer. I was just testing you, by the way. 18 years ago, 196 countries came together and agreed upon what is called the International Health Regulations from the World Health Organization. And now, 18 years later, 18, <laughs> they came together again to amend them. 
Here's a quote from this World Health Organization post on February 25th. Governments agreed on a way forward for updating the WHO International Health Regulations 2005, holding the first round of intensive discussions on more than, get this, 300 amendments, 300 proposed by countries to this globally agreed instrument. The IHR set out agreed approaches and obligations for countries to prepare for and respond to disease outbreaks and other acute public health risks. The proposed amendments come in response to the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but the final pharmaceutical solution was not created for COVID-19, as it's called. COVID-19, as it's called, was created for the final pharmaceutical solution. I wanted to educate myself on this, and as I researched this, I came upon this analysis from Opinio Juris, which is very, very thorough, and it's also very well written. By the way, we have links for all of this on the, it'll be on a downloadable PDF from the website. I want to share with you a few excerpts from this analysis. The proposed amendments to the IHR will, if adopted, considerably increase the WHO's health emergency and, listen, biosurveillance powers, biosurveillance powers. In Section 3 under the heading, extending the scope of the WHO's executive emergency powers, that's the quote in the proposed amendment, they cite, and I quote, the WHO shall build institutional capacity that enables it to, page 14, establish a repository of cell lines to accelerate the production of similar biotherapeutics products and vaccines. Pages 23 and 26, build institutional capacity to globally coordinate infodemic management. Infodemic. I had to, you know, the spell check and word. Don't you hate that? I don't think that's of God. I think that's a demon in that software. It puts a red line and, oh, the one that really gets me, just indulge me for a moment. I need to get this off my chest. The one that really gets me is when I paste a Bible verse into Word, and it puts that little green squiggly line like the grammar is incorrect. That's why I know it's a demon. It's the Word of God. Anyway, so why do I mention that? Because infodemic, red line not in the dictionary. So you've got a choice. You can correct it to something close, or you can 
add it to the dictionary. Well, I had to add it to the dictionary just because I, of my sheer hatred for that red line underneath the apparently misspelled word. Well, so what is infodemic? Oh, it's a pandemic of misinformation, disinformation. There's actually a distinction between the two. So wait, you're quoting from apparently pages 23 and 26 of this amendment, and it's all about a global coordination to manage misinformation? Yeah. Listen to this. To counter the dissemination of false and unreliable information about public health events, preventative and anti-epidemic measures, and activities in the media, social networks, and other ways of disseminating such information. Does that sound familiar? In other words, we're going to censor you. I heard a a very, very funny, uh, it comes from a a Christian comedian. Yes, there's such a thing as a Christian comedian. (laughs) Actually, Tim Hawkins is his name. I just think this guy is so funny. Um, He he, he said this, what do you get when you cross ivermectin with hydroxychloroquine? Wait for it. You get well. Okay, that's funny. That's funny. It's true, too. But they don't want you to know that. So there's going to be this global coordination to manage that and censor that and counter that, counter the dissemination of that because it's going to get tagged, and it's going to get blocked, and they're going to put a notice. So you've seen these notices. I'm all too familiar with them. Across every social media platform, big black screen. What did I do? Exclamation mark, like I've committed the unforgivable sin. This violates. What did I violate? Well, you basically violated our narrative. you're, You're violating and you're going against the narrative and the propaganda. That's why we're censoring you. Well, there's more. Pages 23, 34, and 36. To develop a system through which samples and genetic sequence data of pathogens capable of causing pandemic and epidemics or other high-risk situations are shared, and to develop an interoperability mechanism for secure global digital exchange of health information pages 7 and 23, including for digital health certificates and contact tracing. There it is, right here. Ah, I see what you're doing. Oh, by the way, uh, I know this might sound crazy. I know I might be accused of making a mountain out of a molehill, 
But um, that's exactly what it says right here that you're going to do. A global digital exchange of health information? And a digital health certificate and contact tracing? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Revelation 13. There's more. You okay? I'm going to add one more thing. Actually, I'm going to add two more things. Uh, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised when just a few weeks <laughs> after these proposed amendments, Pfizer's CEO Albert Borla signed an agreement with China to cooperate on improving the country's health coverage. Borla told CNBC that, quote, we are aligned very much with the China Healthy 2030 initiative, and we are trying to contribute as much as we can. <laughs> really? Wait. China Healthy 2030 Initiative. What is up with the year 2030? Another thing that makes you go, hmm. Agenda 2030, hmm. There's even more of a hmm when you subtract seven from 2030. Hmm. I like that hmm. So I'm going to say, don't take that further. Isn't that interesting? 2030, hmm. I'm including this in Exhibit C because China has already implemented the social credit score system, which will include, of all things, a digital vaccine passport, which comports with the proposed amendments I just quoted specific to the, quote, global digital exchange of health information, including digital health certificates and contact tracing. Um, I suppose this is probably as good of a time as any to just mention this. I, in my time with the Lord, again, as of late, I've just been struck with this, uh, how do I word it? It's a, it's a compassion for people that today are being demonized. Example, China. China bad. Russia bad. Well, wait a minute. Um, God loves the Chinese people. And oh, by the way, uh, the Chinese people are coming to Christ by the multitudes. You'll never hear at this side of glory. They're coming to Christ by the multitudes. Russia, I've been to Russia twice. I love the Russian people. Russia bad. China bad. No, it's, it's not China bad, it's the Chinese people. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. They're not the enemy. 
Russia, they're not the enemy. Yeah, but you see what they're doing in Ukraine? Total propaganda. Total propaganda. I hope you don't buy that lie. One more thing on this. I tell you, it's, it's coming at me so fast. This was Friday, I think. I didn't have time to read through this or research this, but Biden signed another executive order with potentially profound prophetic implications. I'm only going to mention it, but a cursory read of this order seems to indicate that this would enforce a form of social credit scores slash carbon credit scores under the guise of, quote, environmental justice for all. Now we've been talking about this for the last better part of three years, how it all ties into Bible prophecy, specifically again, Revelation 13, how there will be a cashless economy that you will be required to authenticate and, and uh, verify before you're able to buy or sell. You'll have to have this mark. It's a verification, it's an authentication, it's a validation, and it will be digital, bio-digital. And it will be in bio. The, it's a digital something, I believe, stamp, tattoo, mark that has palisades, little uh, snake uh, 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 what are they, fangs, small, very small, in the original. And it's on the forehand, and, uh, that, and then it gets in. And by the way, we've resolved the debate over some translations rendering Revelation 13 as the mark on and the mark in. It's both. It's put on, and then it gets in this digital, electronic, computerized tracking system gets in you so they can track you. And so instead of logging in with your credentials, your password, your user ID, you, you can already do it. Well, don't do it. Well, you might. It's okay, I guess. You do it with your phones, by the way. Have you noticed this? Where was I the other day? I, this guy in front of me takes his phone out. I'm like, oh, it was Costco. Oh my, forgive me. Can you just indulge me one more time? I got to get this off my chest too. You know how you, when you walk into Costco, I love Costco, by the way, when I can find a parking spot, I, I really love it. So, you know, when you walk in, you got to show them your card, right? So I, I, you know, I pull my card out and, oh, where is, oh, there it is. Okay. And then I pull it out and, you know, I, like they really care. They, what, what are they going to do? Examine it, get the magnifying glass. Okay, you're good. Go. No, you just flash it. They go, thank you. Walk in. The guy in front of me, he doesn't have a card. He shows him his phone. I'm like, oh, dude, pretty soon it won't be your phone. You'll just go palm, forehead, facial recognition, beep, go. I'll show up. <laughs> I guess I won't be going to Costco anymore, but anyway. Won't need to. <clears throat> um, so these, this scoring system, 
will determine your ability to buy, sell, travel. And I'm not talking just air travel. I'm talking about traveling distances from your residence. It will all be predicated upon your score. Uh, Have you been a good boy and girl? Uh, Are you, even now, again, I just, uh, why did I, because that's just what I do. Uh, My wife was telling me that she tried to order something and have it shipped to Hawaii. And it said this, this item, and I'm noticing this more now, cannot be shipped to your location. Does that make you angry too? It's a sanctified anger. It's a righteous anger, right? It's kind of like, that's discrimination. No, why? So we wanted to find out why. Well, apparently, I forget the exact wording, but it's not uh, environmentally friendly. It, It doesn't have the, they have a little green angel with wings apparently, for this whatever, this green, you know, environmentally friendly, you're going to up your score, you know, so you try to buy something that's not, it's not a green, why green? I don't know, green angel with wings. It's a red devil with horns. Unfriendly, no can, will not send ship. In fact, just because you tried to put it in your cart, your score went down. I know I'm illustrating it in a silly and humorous way, but it's true. This is not something that is going to happen. This is something that is already happening. And it all ties into the centralized bank digital currency. Everything's digital, cashless, bio (laughs) ID verified. Well, I'll end how we began with this question. Am I making a mountain out of a molehill, or are they making a molehill out of a mountain? If it's the latter, and the evidence proves beyond any reasonable doubt that in fact it is, then we're at the doorstep of the seven-year tribulation. And if this is true, and the evidence proves beyond any reasonable doubt that in fact it is, then the rapture can be any time now. And this is why we do these weekly prophecy updates. We are at the end. This is how it ends. And the rapture can happen at any time. And we're, when I say on the doorstep of the seven-year tribulation, I mean we're right there. Because we're seeing everything beginning to come to pass that we're told would ultimately be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation, prior to the seven-year tribulation, and it's happening now. How close are we? Here's the illustration I like to use. It doesn't work on the mainland and some other areas, especially during the winter. But you know, the closer you get to the AC, (laughs) the more you feel the cold. The closer you get to the tribulation, the more you see it and feel it, the closer you get to it. Um, 
Can I just use one more illustration? Uh, I've shared this before. I'll give you the abbreviated version just to spare you again, and myself probably. But in 1997, my wife and I were in Egypt, and my aunt who lived in Giza took us to the train station so we could go to Alexandria, where my father was born. And so we had to take a, 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 a cab or a train from uh, Cairo to Alexandria. But there was so much traffic that we missed the train. We had to take a cab. So my aunt and I tried to negotiate in Arabic with this cab driver. I would never recommend that you do that. And we ended up in this cab with this, you want to talk about crazy, this guy. I mean, anyway, I'm still scarred. I'm still having, I don't know. But um, the, the, let me just slightly, the closer we got to our final destination, Alexandria, the more frequent the signs were. And I was hanging on to those signs for dear life, because I wanted to keep my life. (laughs) I didn't want to lose my life before we got there. And the closer we got to our destination, the more frequent the signs were. The closer we get to the tribulation, the more frequent the signs are. Well, again, this is why we end with the gospel and the childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. I think it's incumbent upon me again today, uh, if you don't mind, just to preface the ABCs by saying that this is just a simple way to share your faith. It's not a formula. It's just a way. It's not the way. It's just a way. And it's simple for me. I use, I just used it yesterday. And it gives you what you need to be equipped with to share when the Lord presents the opportunity to give to everyone an answer of that hope that lies within you, and you're at the ready to share Jesus with them. So what's the A? Very simply, for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner. Because unless and until you do, why would you have any interest in the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. You might be a good person, but you'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Romans 6.23, I see it this way. It packages the bad news first with the good news. Well, what's the bad news? Well, there's a penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. It's the death penalty. That's the bad news. What's the good news? Ah, the good news is the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. Your penalty, your debt has been paid. You're free to go. And whom the Son is set free is free indeed. Good news. That's the A. Here's the B. And the B, please, 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 so central. It could be said that it's even simpler than ABC. It's as simple as B, believe. Believe in your heart. Put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And lastly, the sea. And this comes 
as a result, I always think of the thief on the cross as we affectionately refer to him. He acknowledged that he was a sinner being crucified right next to the Savior of the world. And he believed in him. He believed the other guy rejected him. He didn't believe. But this, this guy did. He believed. This is Jesus, the, the Savior, the Lord. And then he called upon him called out to him. When you enter your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus responded with, verily, verily, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's the sea. It's a confessing with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And Romans 10, 13, I mean, it says it all. It says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's pretty simple. Do you realize that's all this guy had to do? He acknowledged that he was being crucified because he was guilty. He acknowledged that Jesus was being crucified, though innocent, and he believed in him, and then he called upon him, remember me. That's all he had to do to get saved. He didn't have to bring anything to the table of salvation. And so too with us, we bring nothing to the table of salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, we can do nothing. He did everything. He paid it all. It is finished. For today's But God testimony, I'm, I'm just going to ask you, if you would, please give me just a couple more minutes. I want to do something different and share with you some brief quotes from numerous people who emailed us from literally all over the world, a few of which I've shared in previous updates. And here's why I'm doing this. They speak to today's update as it relates specifically to churches and pastors who not only downplay the injection, but astonishingly even promote the injection. Now, please know that, and the Lord knows my heart, I, I do this with a, a very heavy heart and a broken heart. I in no way wish to create division. Rather, I do so with the hope that the Holy Spirit will open eyes to the lies. Now, these, what follows, are their words. If I were to say what they say, it would seem and come off like I have animosity towards certainly a fellow pastor. And again, the Lord knows my heart. That is absolutely not the case. It, they're, they're, again, uh, the Lord knows my heart. There is a, a grief, a sorrow, a sadness. I would even say empathy and sympathy. I feel so sorry for these guys and the people that are under their pastoral leadership in their fellowship. So I have nine of them. Here's the first one. There are fellow prophecy 
teachers and pastors who I won't name as I have no desire to cause contention. But I have to say, I feel like they have been derelict in their duty when it comes to the truth about the falsely called vaccine. Our churches in Rapid City, South Dakota were all deafening in their silence. I find it even more shameful and egregious that there were well-known pastors who promoted it. My heart breaks as I know that they led many an undiscerning Christian to take it. I believe they are doing an even greater disservice by not coming out publicly and renouncing these shots, especially in light of all the incontrovertible evidence of the harm they are causing. Finally, thank you for always starting your updates with the expounding of Scripture. That and the but God stories are my favorite part. After all, <laughs> what you have to deal with in between those parts isn't exactly fun. Uh, uh, this is, uh, wait, uh, this is number two. Actually, I only have eight. Oh, I only have eight. Hi, Pastor J.D. I can't tell you how super encouraging today's but God testimonies were. So awesome, all that the Lord is doing to protect His children from having to get the jab and possible loss of jobs and provision for new and better jobs. I was wondering if you could please comment on the pastors who are encouraging their people to get the jab. She then goes on to name prominent prophecy teachers and pastors, one of whom is a pastor of a Calvary chapel. Number three, I immediately knew in 2020 that this is how it all ends. Although I am not a pastor, in May of 2021, I was invited by my pastor to attend a regional Calvary Chapel pastors conference entitled, ironically, Discerning the Times. Sadly, of all the Calvary Chapel pastors that spoke at the conference, only my pastor spoke of Bible prophecy. All the other pastors spoke on how they navigated the COVID-19 mandates. And honestly, it really blew my mind. I'm saddened that so many Christians are unable to discern the times, but I will be forever thankful that the Spirit of God sounded the alarm in my heart. Number four, I referred one of my family members to your church to obtain their exemption letter after her pastor declined because he's pro-vaccine. She was at the verge of losing her job or else be vaccinated. I received a confirmation this morning that they accepted the exemption letter and she resumed work. Praise the Lord for that. Number five, we are Messianic Jews living in Israel in a small Jewish community a few kilometers from Jerusalem. We are deeply disappointed, to say the least, in our government, which sold us out as lab rats, and our Christian pastor, who seems to be unaware of the demonic happenings over this country and the world. The book of Revelation does not appear to be a reality for him. He took the jabs, as well as his family and most of the congregants. The pastor in particular was sick a whole week after the third shot. Number six, the churches here are taking the vaccine and pastors and telling the congregation to take it. It's devastating, but I hold on to the promises of God. Well, there is nine, I'm sorry. I have noticed recently churches are pro-vaccine and encouraging congregants to get the jab. 
unvaxxed cannot go to church. If I'm not mistaken, I think this was in Australia or New Zealand. Some pastors even have come out and said, Jesus would get the jab. All of these break my heart, but my eyes are on Jesus. Lastly, my mom's former pastor encouraged the shots from the pulpit and pressured his staff to get them. You spoke about pastors who ignore prophecy in one of your sermons on Sunday. Well, I then listened to my former pastor's latest message afterwards on Sunday. It was about the rapture, but why wasn't it enough? And listen to what she says, and this is why I wanted to end with this one. The sermons were very much like the sermons in 2019, but the world I was living in was not. I think that sums it up. Let me just close. Capone, come on up. Why don't you go ahead and stand up. I, if anything, again, if I've encouraged you with an update like this, and you've even thought yourself that maybe you yourself are losing it and going crazy, because everyone around you, and I mean everyone around you, is saying the opposite of you. Well, if this update was an encouragement to you, then I've done that which I believe God's called me to do today. I'll take it one step further, lastly, and just say, that the world, and even the church in the world, does not have the final word. God's word has the final word. So when you don't know, or you're starting to doubt what you think you know, you go back to what you do know, the Word of God. The Word of God has the final word. And the Word of God says, this is the final word. No, you're not making a mountain out of a molehill. The world is making a molehill out of a mountain. Be encouraged. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Lord, thank you that we have your Word. What would we do? if we didn't have your word to go to. Lord, thank you. Thank you for telling us in your word what the world would be like and look like at the time of the end, because it's exactly like you said it would be at the time of the end, which means only one thing. It's the time of the end. So Lord, now what are we going to do with that? For anyone, Lord, that might be watching online or even here in this service that has never believed in You, put their trust in You, I pray that today they would make the most important decision of their life, a decision for eternal life. And those of us, Lord, that 
have been walking with you for many years. Lord, I just pray for any who are weary, battle weary, discouraged, struggling. Lord, I know many are, are hurting and some even on a bed of sickness and suffering. And Lord, these words are life and death. This is the bread of life for them. Your word is life and it is alive. Lord, I pray that you'll breathe new life, bring new hope, strengthen the weary, Lord. And Lord, lastly, come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.